In today's rapidly changing world, we all have questions and we all want answers. It's on this program that we get our answers from the Word of God. It's time for another episode of A Relevant Word with longtime pastor and best-selling author, Carl Gallup. Welcome to another A Relevant Word with Pastor Carl Gallops. Pastor Carl, is, uh, his main ministry is in the Pensacola, Florida area at the Hickory Hammock Baptist Church. You can look him up online. You can get one of his several best-selling books. You can find out all about that there. Today, though, we're going to be talking about something that's curious to me, and I'm sure a lot of people, it's the Bible. Now, you may or may not have been, have been familiar with the Bible. Possibly you are because you're listening to the program. And we know the Bible in our hearts to be very special, mm-hmm. but we know that not a lot of people think that uh, the Bible is the divine work of God or what, but what makes the Bible so different than all of these other, not just religious books, but books in general? What is yeah. it about the Bible that makes it so special, Carl? Yeah, well, listen, a lot of people ask that. Why is the Bible? How do you yeah. know it's the Word of God? And how can you be sure it's the Word of God and not the Hindu Vedas or the teachings of Buddha or the Islamic Quran or the astrology charts sure. or Nostradamus? I mean, why the Bible? Why do you key in on that? And there's so much in there I don't understand. And some of it looks weird and sounds weird. Okay, well, there's context to all of that, and I could answer all those questions, but this show's not about that. But I can answer the question you asked today in the— in the boundaries of the show. The question you ask, what is it that separates? Okay, so you and I call it the Word of God, the Word of God, not a word or another word or a part of the Word. We call it the Word of God. Why and how can we do that? Now, the quick, quaint, almost, almost cliche answer will set up the foundation for the real and the deep answer, okay? The reason this is different from all other works, religious works. I'm using the word religious with air quotes uh, because I don't consider uh, you know, Christianity a religion. I know the world's tried to turn it into it. Satan has. But to me, it's relationship with our Creator through the blood of Jesus Christ. But all the religious literature, whether it be you know, little pamphlets or little you know, books or, or, or big books like you know, the, the various uh, books like the Bible, you know, this whole volume, and there are other religions. And I'm not here to bash other religions. I'm just here to answer the question, why do we know and believe and know in our hearts this is the Word of God? Here's the trite, quick little answer. It's one word, prophecies. Now, I know some people are saying, well, yeah, yeah, but there are other religious books that have prophecies. Yeah, 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 but I'm going to focus in on two, and these are the two major prophecies of the whole Word of God and especially of the Old Testament, moving into the New Testament. And then the New Testament encompasses one of them all the way through from Matthew to Revelation and speaks of the other one as well. So what are the two prophecies I'm talking about? I'm talking about the prophecy, of course, of a coming one, the Garden of Eden. It starts out of the mouth of God. Some of the oldest words in the oldest books of the Bible we have from the womb of a woman will come a male child that will crush your kingdom, Satan. All right? So there's a prophecy out of the mouth of God. What's it about? It's about the coming one. It's about the Messiah. That's why we find out in the Bible, Jesus, who did fulfill all those prophecies, he is called the lamb slain before the foundation. In other words, before God breathed into Adam's nostrils, he had the whole plan for our salvation worked out. So the coming one. Now think about it. Who in their right mind thousands of years ago would dare 
to not only predict that that would happen, but put it in the mouth of God and then discuss where he's going to be born, about what time period he would be born, the things he would do to prove he's God in the flesh. He would do things that only God himself can do. Well, what are those things? Well, the Bible tells us clearly only God can walk on the water. Only God can command the elements. Only God can create elements out of nothing. Only God can open the eyes of the blind. Only God. There's no no instance of anybody opening the eyes of the blind in the Old Testament. But yet Jesus comes along. What does he do? He commands the wind and the waves. He takes two couple loaves of bread and fish and feeds 10,000. Now listen to me. 10,000 men. When you count the women and children, now you've got 40, 50,000 people who witnessed this. And it was written about in the lifetime of those witnesses. And we have no material from that first century saying, oh, that's a lie. That didn't happen. I was there and that didn't happen. No, instead you have people saying, yes, I was there. That happened. Walking on the water. Only God can do that. The Bible actually says that. Um, on and on and on. So not only do you have this prophecy in the garden of a coming one, but you have all these peripheral prophecies about where he'd be born, what he would do. He would it, it prophecies about him going to the cross. There are three crucifixion uh, prophecies, I call them. There are many that speak of it. I mean, there's even in hidden imagery like Abraham offering Isaac. But let's get right down to it. Psalm 22. David has a vision. He's all the way to the to to the cross. He says he's looking and he says they have pierced my hands and my feet. They gamble for my clothing under my feet. I'm encircled by people saying he saved others. Let himself himself. That was written one thousand years before Jesus. And all of that happened in his life, written down, witnessed, testified by four gospels and history itself. And we have no literature coming out of that time period saying that was fake. It didn't happen. None. Yet the Gospels have survived for 2,000 years. And I could go on and on and on with these elements of that prophecy of the coming one. And Jesus Christ fulfilled them all. Now, this is important out of the billions of people that are alive now, the billions of people together throughout history that have lived before us. Only one single solitary person fulfilled every one of those prophecies, right down to delivering himself to a crucifixion. Psalm 22 talks about it, as I just said. They've pierced my hands and my feet. Isaiah 53, the punishment that brought us peace was laid upon his back. By his stripes we are healed. He was pierced for our transgressions, bruised for our iniquities. What's he, what Isaiah? That was written 600, 700 years before Christ. Yet it's describing everything right down to he was crucified with criminals, right down to he was buried in a rich man's tomb. It's in Isaiah 53, right down to even after his suffering and his death, yet he will live again. It says that. <laughs> I mean, you just, and then you come to Zechariah chapter 12, where God says on that day, and you find out that that day is the day of when salvation comes through a person we know as the Messiah. But God says in, in Zechariah chapter 12, on that day, you will look upon me, whom you have pierced, and you will mourn for him as an only son. I, I mean, this is impossible. Who would dare to write stuff like that and say, this is going to happen? I'm a prophet, and this is going to happen. And then 700 years or 1,000 years goes by, and it doesn't happen. You know people had to think, those guys were nuts. That's crazy. 
They said that. How come it didn't happen in our lifetime? Well, why didn't it happen in our children's lifetime or our grandchildren or our great-grandchildren or our great-great-great-great-great all the way through till a thousand years later? And not only does it happen, but every single one of the prophecies come to roaring, rip-roaring, in-color life before the eyes of the world in one single person. Nothing like that has ever happened before. Nothing has happened since like that. But it happened one time in history. It changed the calendars of the world. It was so monumental. The year that we call out right now is the year we're living in. That's not how many years the earth has been here or even humans. It's how many years since the Christ event. Well, why do we date all of that by a calendar? Because it changed the world. Well, that came out of the Quran, right? Nope. Oh, it came out of the Book of Mormon, right? Nope. It came out of uh, the, the, the Nostradamus. No. It came out of the teachings of Buddha. No. It came out of all the writings of the Hindus and the Hindu Vedas and all of their writings. No. It came out of the astrology charts. No. It came from one place, the Word of God, written thousands of years ago. And we're living on the other side of the complete fulfillment of all that. The birth of the church is told in there in Zechariah 4. If you understand the words and the nuances of the Hebrew words, you know exactly that that's what it means. All the scholarship says that. It's it's talking about the birth of the church. That's prophesied, the giving of the Holy Spirit to those who are now born again. In fact, Zechariah 13 says, and on that day, when the Lord says, you will look upon me whom you have pierced, a fountain will be opened in Jerusalem, and all who plunge themselves under that fountain will be saved. Well, we've got a hymn that honors that. It's called, There is a Fountain Filled with Blood Drawn from Emmanuel's Veins. And sinners plunge beneath that flood, lose all their guilty stains. That comes right from Zechariah 13. Why? Because that prophecy was fulfilled in Jesus perfectly. Right down to Psalm 22, the gambling for his clothing under his feet, his hands and his feet were pierced and on and on. The last words of Psalm 23 is, and God has done it. And then period. What were Jesus' last words on the cross? It is finished. It is finished. Another way of saying God has done this. It is finished. It's just what the prophecy said. God has done it. By the way, when Jesus cried out in, in Hebrew or Aramaic, Eloi, Eloi, lava sabachthani, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Those are the first words of Psalm 22. Mm-hmm. He was telling the people at the foot of the cross, go look at Psalm 22 and you'll see. You're watching a thousand-year-old prophecy fulfilled before you. So I said two prophecies. There's another one. We're almost out of time here, but I'm going to expound upon this just a little bit, just a little bit more, uh, before we go to our second segment. But so the prophecies of the coming one. Now think about this for a minute, Kevin. We take it for granted because we live on the other side of all of it, and we just go, "Yeah, Jesus died on the cross for my sin." Amen. Uh, yeah, but <laughs> we didn't just invent that. This comes out of the Word of God a thousand years before it happened. And then it happened, and we're on the other side of it, and the calendars of the world date it. They don't date Muhammad's death or Buddha's death or, you know, or Nostradamus's death worldwide. No, it's the death, crucifixion, burial, resurrection of Jesus Christ, the whole Christ event, his birth, what he did, the things he did that only God can do, the Old Testament says. Yet Jesus opened the eyes of the blind. He walked on water. He created elements that weren't there in front of tens and tens and tens of thousands of people who lived during the time that the Gospels were written, and nobody denied it. So that's the first reason why I stand in the Word of God. There's no other book like it. 
And if I pass away and find out that that was all not true, then, oh, well, I mean, what else am I going to do? Am I going to believe other books that don't even mention what actually happened? Of course, but it is true. And that's one of the big proofs that separates the Word of God from everything else on the planet. But there's another one, and we're going to get to that in a moment. Thank you, Pastor. This is Irrelevant Words with Pastor Carl Gallops, and we'll be back right after this. For more on Pastor Carl or to listen to his podcast anytime, visit carlgallops.com. For more on Pastor Carl or to listen to his podcast anytime, visit carlgallops.com. Welcome back to Irrelevant Words with Pastor Carl Gallops. We're talking about the two major prophecies. Yeah. You went through the first one. I did. About what really separates the Bible from every other book there is. Right. It's fascinating because sometimes we take it for granted. We know, do. We do. We've, you know, especially those of us who have grown up with the Bible. And yep. You just take it it's to, word to of God. be the truth. And, yeah. <laughs> but we forget how truly special the book is. Right. And, and then... Now, go ahead. So much hidden meaning, and it's yeah. hidden in plain sight. In plain so sight. So this, this, this is a fascinating show. Carl. Thank you, brother. I appreciate it. And it's going to be very relevant, too, by the time I get to the end. Hopefully, it's already becoming relevant, but it really will be. So I said in the beginning that there are two main—I said prophecy. That's the deal. And people say, well, so, you know, there's a couple of other religious books that have prophecy. Yeah, but not the two I'm talking about. No other religious book prophesied of not only a coming one that would save the world and crush Satan's kingdom, but also all the details, all the details, right down to his birth and what he would do and where he would grow up and out of Nazareth and where he would start his ministry, Isaiah chapter 9, along the shores of Galilee and what he would do and the miracles he would do that the Old Testament says only God in the flesh can do. And then here comes Jesus and does it all. So guess who he is? God in the flesh. Who is he? The child that's coming from the womb of a woman that's going to crush Satan's head. So who would write that? All of those prophecies are written thousands of years years, a thousand years before, 600 years before, 700 years before any of it happened, who would do that? What prophecy would ruin his name forever by saying something silly like that? But as silly as all that sounded, it's all happened and the calendars of the world mark it. Well, there's another prophecy just like it planned by God to have the same impact. Now, it doesn't bring our salvation, but God declares over and over in almost 50 places where this prophecy is given from front to back of the Old Testament, he declares over and over, I'm doing this to show the world that I am God. And in other words, and this is God's word. What? What's God's word? The prophecies that is written in. So if he's saying it, and he's saying I'm doing it to show the world, and the implication of it all is in the last days, this is what I'm going to do. And you know what it is, Kevin? It's another resurrection, hmm. not of a person of a nation, the nation of Israel. Satan hates Jesus, Christians, the church, because that's the seed that destroys his kingdom. He hates Israel because he got rid of it through all the nations that were under his evil domain and control, yet God resurrected it from the dead. 
and it's back. And the Bible says, and I'm going to just paraphrase because it doesn't use these words, but the implication and the truth is there. This was God's hourglass. It was turned over and the grain started dripping through that we're in the last days. And Jesus said that in the New Testament. But let me go back to the Old Testament for a moment. This is why this is the word of God. There's no other book on the planet that predicted the return of Israel to the Middle East. Speaking Hebrew with the strongest military in the Middle East, with with technology pouring out of there, medical technology, farming technology, uh, scientific technology, uh, computer, digital technology, cell phone technology. I mean, just pouring out of this little nation. It's just been here a handful, a handful of decades and a couple fingers left over. That's all. And it's done all of this. It's blessing the world. And the word of God said. Now watch this. This is amazing. The first prophecy of the return of Israel in the last days is found in the book of Deuteronomy. <laughs> Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy is the last book of the Torah, the law, the Pentateuch. The first five books of the Bible. And this, now, not only that, but this prophecy was made before the children of Israel even set foot in the promised land the first time. Moses, the book, the, the word Deuteronomy means the second rendering of the law. He's an old man. They're getting ready to cross the Jordan River. He's going to die. He will not live in the land. God's already told him that. He served his purpose for the kingdom. Now he's going to be called to heaven. But Moses gets up. He repeats the Ten Commandments. He goes back through their history of the 40 years in the wilderness. He goes, goes back to their Egyptian captivity history. And, and then he, he breaks into the spirit of prophecy. And he starts quoting God. He says, and the Lord God says, has any other God, little g, in other words, demons, has a demon been able to take a people who weren't a people and turn them into a mighty nation? I'm getting ready to do that now. So he's bringing them into the promised land the first time. But watch, by the time you get to Deuteronomy 30, between Deuteronomy 4, where he said what I just said, to Deuteronomy 30, this reoccurring theme comes, you're getting ready to go into the new land. You're going to become a mighty nation. Now, as long as you're serving the Lord and obeying him, you will stay a mighty nation. But in the day you turn to idols and turn from me, I will take my hand of protection off of you. And nations will come in and destroy you and take you off into captivity unto all the world and to all the nations. Moses told them that before they even crossed the Jordan River. Then you keep reading and he says, but in the last days, and the words last days aren't there, but this is the whole implication of it. And there are other passages that say it. But he says, but in those last days, in the last days, I will call them from all the nations to which they have been scattered. Wait a minute. They haven't even gone into the promised land yet. I mean, they'll rule. They'll have 200 years of judges ruling them, the book of Judges. Then Saul will be the first king. Then David. Then Solomon. I mean, none of that has happened. It'll be hundreds of years. But Moses is already telling them. And you'll be scattered to all the nations. But in the last days, I will call you back. And I will bring you back to the land. Back to where you were. I will bring you back. I will do that. Thus the nations will know that I am God. Now listen to me, brother. And people listening, brothers and sisters, that's the first prophecy in the Bible of the return of Israel in the last days. Well, you and I, Kevin, we're living in that time period. We're living in that historical time period. All of our lives, Israel has always been there. But just before we were born, there was no Israel for 2,500 years. There was, there was no Israel. Then in 1948, boom, there it is. So you and I grew up with 
That's all it's ever been over there in that land is Israel. But that is a prophecy. God says you're living in the last days. Now, listen, I don't set dates. I don't know what the last day means. I'm not setting dates. I'm just saying what the Bible says. Okay, We're watching the world going crazy. It's losing its mind. It's coming against Israel continually. That's satanic. It's coming against the church. It's coming against Christians. It's coming against the word of God. Why? Because it's satanic. Because it's an attack on the word of God that has proven itself through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now it's in the process of proving itself through the resurrection of the nation of Israel. And it's all in our lifetime, our historical lifetime. But wait, that's the first prophecy. The last prophecy is in the book of Zechariah. Well, the book right after that is Malachi, the last book. So the next to the last book has the last prophecy of Israel's return in the last days. The first one is in the Pentateuch, in the Torah, Deuteronomy. They're not even in the promised land yet. And, and Moses has basically told them their whole history and everything that was going to happen and that they would come back in the last days. That's impossible. How did that happen? And the Jews have had the book of, of Deuteronomy since the Mount Sinai, but then put into writing again, the oral traditions put into writing for like five or 600 years BC. So how could they have known about our lifetime and that it would come back? to the land, and the people from all over the nations would come back and be there. Yet the Bible, and only the Bible, talks about that. So from Deuteronomy to Zechariah, it's there. But watch this. Between Deuteronomy and Zechariah are 50 other prophecies like it in the Old Testament. And there's some of them that are whole chapters long. Isaiah 49. I've talked on that right here on this program before. Um, uh, Ezekiel 37, 38. 39. It's all about the resurrection of Israel in the last days and the nations that are going to line up in, in an alliance to attack the resurrected Israel. We're seeing that now. Again, October 7th, 2023. Back then, from right on through, that's the nations that are named in Ezekiel 38 are, are the ones that are in alliance right now for the first time in world history. Again, I'm not setting dates, but my goodness, God said, when I flip that hourglass over and I bring Israel back, this will be a sign to the nations that I am God and this is my word. Now, again, there's no other religious book on the planet that made that prophecy in detail one time, much less 50 times, much less from beginning to end. The two major prophecies that have totally changed this world the two major resurrections that have totally changed this world, the resurrection of Jesus and the resurrection of Israel, and they're all tied together, and they're found only in the Word of God. By the time you get to the New Testament, you see Jesus there. He's ministry, crucified, resurrected, boom. That's all fulfilled. goes all the way to the book of Revelation. Then Jesus speaks in Matthew 24, right before he goes to the cross. He says, they ask him, when's the signs of your last days, or the signs of your coming in the last days? He said, when you see the fig tree bloom, you'll know the time is near. Uh, the fig tree, Israel is called the fig tree in the Old Testament and the New Testament and out of the mouth of Jesus previously and in several books. So when you see Israel bloom, well, when did he say that? In the Roman Empire, 1,948 years before it would happen. But it happened, and we're living in it. And most of the church, most of the world, doesn't even see it. They do not have eyes to see Satan has blinded them. So do you see the relevance of this, folks? The Word of God is relevant because it's true, because it's God's Word. He has proven it with two monumentally, historically impossible things. The resurrection of Jesus 
and the resurrection of Israel and all the prophecies that tie to it over and over and over again, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and even a thousand years or more before it happened, the only religious book on the planet. I'm going to stand in that book on that word for all of my life. It could, be, it could not be more clear that the Bible speaks to us right now. Right now. Right now. Even though it was written thousands of years ago. This is a relevant word. Thank you, Pastor Carl Gallops, for yeah. being with us today and sharing this message. It's my pleasure. Thank you for co-hosting and thank you for listening. May the Lord bless you and keep you always. Now more than ever, we need to listen to God. He still speaks through His Word, the Bible. Each week, Pastor Gallops shares what the Word of God is saying, even now, a relevant word, with longtime pastor and best-selling author, Carl Gallops. To access Pastor Carl and to listen to his podcast anytime, visit carlgallops.com. Thanks for listening.